right. You know, my first line of my sermon is, I recently turned 61. <laughs> How funny is that? Uh, your mind isn't as good. Your body isn't as good. You know, on Friday, I was playing squash, which I still can do at 61, so that's all right. And I just pulled a muscle in my calf. I feel like Samantha Kerr, right? Like I can't even do anything. Just getting up these stairs was just like a killer, right? So just young people don't get old, all right? So though I've got some age-related issues, to be honest, only when I'm trying to be young, right? I can tell you I've got some real clarity about some different things and what I believe is important. And so tonight I, I wanna be able to communicate some of these aha truths, I don't often get to preach on a Sunday night and uh, it's generally and predominantly a, a younger crowd here on a Sunday night. And so I wanna teach you some of the truths that I've found to just be very helpful and truths that I think I hopefully will be able to help you. I've been a Christian now for 42 years. So I've seen some things, right? I've also uh, been a pastor, full-time pastor for 29 years. So there's some things that I've seen, and so I'm hoping tonight to be able to communicate something of some wisdom that you can build upon, not just something that's going to tickle your ears and be nice, and you go, oh, that was, I enjoyed that, but something that actually you can build something upon, and it's going to help you live your life. I want you to learn from my mistakes, to be honest, right? So just talk to you about some of the things that probably I didn't get right so well, and I wished I'd got right earlier. So let's pray and let's get into it. Father, I thank you for this opportunity. It's such a privilege to preach your word, to preach your truths, oh God. Thank you for what you've led me through, how you've walked with me, oh God, spoken to me, guided me, helped me, encouraged me, oh God, done so much for me in my life. And I pray that as I preach tonight, I'll be able to speak some of that wisdom and some of what you've placed in my life would be able to somehow go into other people's lives. Use me tonight, I ask, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. So in your old age, in my old age, I've become more reflective. You start thinking about things so much. You think about the why behind the what. You think about why did things turn out that way? Why do things turn out another way for someone else? Why? And it occupies your thinking a lot. Instead of just doing and just living with whatever you did, you're kind of thinking like, well, maybe if you did this or if I'd done that, I could have done it you know, a little bit differently. See, my personality is not about process at all. My personality is all about outcome and results. Don't really care how you get there as long as you actually get there. The how and the why of process never interested me. I just wanted outcome. Get me the thing to happen that I want to happen. And I didn't really spend too much time thinking about how things happen or how I got somewhere. I just wanted to be there. As long as I got there, that's all I really cared about. And I certainly didn't try out processes. I certainly wasn't deliberate about procedures. I just lived by the maximum. If it seems good, why not give it a shot? And the old suck it and see. I'll just see what it's up there. All right, that didn't work. We won't do that. And I'll try. It's not wise. It's not a good way to live. So as I got older, I started to see the value of process 
and deliberate organisation. Because as a not a process-driven person, and my staff know this, I wanna say we'll start talking process in a staff meeting and my eyes just glaze over. I, I find my phone and I kinda like start playing a game. I'm a little bit like this video clip when Homer was at a jury. Excuse me, Your Honor. Yes, I'd like to bring something to the court's attention. Huh? What? Give those glasses to the bailiff. All right. And those. Oh. <laughs> Sometimes when he starts talking process, I'm a little bit like Homer in this clip. I don't really care, right? And I let Joe, who loves process. Joe is the king of process. He's the king of lists. He's the king of all of that stuff. Thank God for Joe. Let's give Joe a clap. Because process gets the job done. Let me tell you, process is your friend. See, Christianity, our Christian walk, is a process. It's not an event. It's not a one-off experience that you have with God, but it's a lifetime of discipleship. It's a lifetime of walking with God, knowing God, and becoming more like Jesus. The Bible tells it like this in 2 Corinthians 4.18. But when someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. They're walking one way, they don't really see God, but they turn to the Lord and their veil is taken off. But where the Spirit, the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us, this is most of us in this room, have had that veil removed, and we can see and reflect the glory of God. And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. It's a process. Don't listen to the gods, don't do this, don't do that. You have to act like this, you have to act like that. No, just love Jesus. Just see Jesus, just seek Jesus and all of a sudden you start to become like him. What Jesus likes, you like. What Jesus loves, you love. What Jesus doesn't like, you won't like. What Jesus doesn't love, you won't love. It's not a thing of laws and have tos and have nots. It's about, I just love Jesus, I just love what he loves and every day. Every day you just see something fresh. Every day you see something new and you start to change and you start to become more and more like Christ. So we've got to be careful as a Christian. We don't look for this one life-changing event that's going to transform our lives and make us the person that we just want to be. See, all of us want some things to be different. All of us would love to have just this one thing happen and everything would be better. So many people dream about, if I just won lotto, I mean, I think there was a big lotto just recently, right? If I just won lotto, everything would be different. But all you do is got a whole lot of different issues in your life because there's something still not right in your heart. But I've learned over the years, it's never just one thing. Who's ever had a boss or a manager and they come up with the latest thing that's just gonna change everything in the workplace? And it's gonna just lead to ultimate success, right? We're gonna do this now. We're all gonna wear name tags and we're gonna be really friendly and we're gonna show how customer focused we are and that's gonna make sales just go through the roof. 
I know what we're going to do. We are all going to eat in the lunchroom together because that is just going to make staff morale just go through and, and production's going to go through the roof. Two months later, you know what? We've been spending too much time being friendly with the customers and we're not maximizing our sales time. From now on, we're going to be asking the question. You have to ask the question, right? You know, do you want to buy? And then when they, what's going to happen is that we're not going to spend more than five minutes per customer because we're sales are going to go through the roof. To be honest, we've been spending too much time in the lunchroom together. We're going to stagger our lunch times now. And there are going to be more people on the floor. That's going to make our sales go through the roof. See, it just changes. If you're looking for that one thing, it never actually happens. I'm going to try this. I'm going to try that. It's not how things work. Churches can do it as well. Make it all about prayer. No, it's the moving of the Holy Spirit. It's being seeker friendly. No, we're a word church. Now we're gonna bind the devil and come against all the powers and principalities arrayed against the church. No, have a social conscience. Let's meet the needs of our community. Small groups, that's the thing that we've gotta do as a church. Powerful praise and worship. That's how you grow a church. That's what happens in church or a hundred other things. The truth is this. We need all of those things. We need to fast and pray. We need the moving of the Holy Spirit. We need to be conscious of people who are not Christians being in our church. We need spiritual warfare. We need small groups. We need praise and worship. We need to care about the needs of the community that we're in and the wider body of Christ. But what happens is not one thing. There are times when God will bring a focus on something. Recently in the month of July, as a church, we focused on evangelism. We tried to stir you to go out there and tell people about Jesus. But we're not just an evangelism church. That's what we're gonna do every time. What we're gonna do is there are gonna be seasons where different topics and different focuses of God is what we'll focus on. But it's not just one thing. In our personal lives, it can be the same. If I just got over this sin, if I just didn't have this sin in my life, everything would be different. If I just got that job, if I had that job, let me tell you, everything would be different. If I had this much income, oh, let me tell you, it would just be different. If I just was married to someone who understood me, right, it would just be so different. If only I didn't have this family trait. You know, God will sometimes focus on an area but it's never gonna be one thing that brings change to everything. Now, I'm not speaking about or against an encounter with God. I want you to have an encounter with God. That's why we actually do church. I want you to have life-changing encounters with God. An encounter with God is one of Emerged Church's core values. It's an encounter with God that many times initiates and begins the process of God's discipleship within our lives. One meeting can be life-changing for you. I've been in incredible meetings where I've had an encounter with God and I was dramatically impacted. It was in a church meeting that I got saved. It was a church meeting that I got called into ministry. It was in a church meeting that my shattered heart was reinvigorated for God. It was in a meeting that I was convicted of sin that was hamstringing my walk with God. It's in a meeting that I saw the importance of putting God first. It was in a meeting that I heard the voice of God guide me into wisdom. 
It was in a meeting I saw so, some, something so powerful about God that I was moved to tears. I've been in countless meetings where I've been overwhelmed by God's goodness and love towards me and I left changed. See, you can leave a meeting with a dramatic impact on your life, but it's not the whole deal. A one-off touch from God is not the whole deal. You need to commit yourself to being a process person, a person committed to the process of Christ's discipleship plan for your life. He has a discipleship plan. He wants you to change, not because he doesn't like how you are, but for what he has for you. He says, I have all this for you. You don't have to change, but this is what I have for you. And as you see Jesus and allow his discipleship plan, his work start to work in your life, all of a sudden you start to change. All of a sudden you start to become different. See, there are stories in the Bible where someone sees this incredible, powerful outpouring of the power of God, it produced a dynamic and a dramatic result, but the end for that person, it wasn't so good. It wasn't a wonderful thing. They may have had a dramatic event. They may have seen a wonderful miracle, but because they weren't committed to God's process, because they weren't committed to the process that God had for their lives, they miss out. You think about it, Jesus says this. He goes, you know, if someone gets a demon cast out of them, you'd think that's pretty dramatic. That's gotta be good, right? But it says if you're not committed to the process of putting the Holy Spirit in and allowing the Holy Spirit at work in their lives, he says the demon comes back, brings seven of his friends, and the last state of the man is worse than the first. They had a dramatic encounter with God, but it actually, because they weren't committed to the process of God in their lives, the last state of that person is worse than the first. That's pretty scary. You know, few people in the Bible have had more dramatic events, more miracles, more encounters with God than the people and the slaves of Egypt. Few people had very the miracles or experienced the demonstrated power of God that they did. Ten plagues in Egypt. And so what happened is that plagues happened to Egypt, nothing happened to the children of God. And out of that, they're set free from slavery. They crossed the Red Sea because the sea parted and then closed in on the Egyptians. They were fed every day miraculously and they had enough to drink. Moses has so much glory on him that he has to wear a veil because people just obviously didn't have sunglasses back then, right? They they were led by a cloud and by a fire at night. Their Their shoes and their clothes never deteriorated. They were given the Ten Commandments out of a mountain on fire and heard the voice of the Lord. They had big event after big event after big event. They had encounters with God that we could only dream of, yet none of them entered the promised land. They never got anywhere because they were not committed to God's process in their lives. So a four or five day journey becomes a 40 year wilderness experience that eventually kills them. God sets them up for great success, but their own grumbling and dissatisfactions destroyed 
everything for them. They wanted God to be Father Christmas. His kindness and His generosity to them never really helped them. They interpreted the miracles of God selfishly, making it about them. So when it came to their part of the deal, they reneged. And in the end, those miracles were not to their benefit. They felt that as if God was only God when miracles were happening. I want you to hear that statement again because it's important to my message. They felt as if God was only God when miracles were happening. Tonight, to illustrate the the power of submitting yourself to God's discipleship process to your life, I wanna look at two people in the Bible. They're of the same name, they've got the same name, so it's easy to remember. Both men had a dramatic event in their lives that totally, totally, radically changed them, that they could never, ever be the same again. One man was committed to the processes of God in his life, the other man was not. And because of that, one becomes a great success and someone that we kind of like uh, uh, compare or talk about when we wanna talk about someone successful and someone becomes like a byword for failure for what it's like when you didn't do so well. Their name is Saul. Two great men, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. Both men going on a journey when God interrupts their lives, when God intervenes, where they have an encounter with God. One is looking for lost donkeys, the other is looking out to kill Christians. They have a dramatic event in their lives where they encounter God. One results in being anointed king over Israel, the other one is anointed to go and preach the gospel of Jesus to the Gentiles. You know, the, the, the Bible tells us that Saul in the Old Testament was a striking man. He was head and shoulders above everyone else. He was someone that you said, whoa, that guy's got a bit of swagger. That guy's got a bit of something. There's something about that guy. He was noticed. He was head and shoulders above all. And the Bible actually takes time to say how good looking he was. I hate that guy, right? So he loses his donkeys. Donkeys, obviously very important back then. He loses his donkeys and he goes everywhere looking for them. He's trying to find them, but he can't. So he gets a great idea. There's a great prophet. His name is Samuel. Samuel, the prophet will know where my donkeys are. I'm gonna go and find Samuel. So he looks out for Samuel, finds him, asks him where his donkeys are, and Samuel doesn't care less about his donkeys. But God speaks to Samuel and says, this is gonna be the next king of Israel. And he speaks to him, prophesies over him. They have dinner together, and it's amazing. What a fantastic thing happens, and it's wonderful. So this is what happens, 1 Samuel 10, verse six. At that time, the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you with power, and you'll prophesy with them, you will be changed into a different person. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. He, by having an encounter with God, is changed into a different person. He's set up for success. He's had a great encounter with God. God has moved on his life. He's now different. What used to be, what stirred him now no longer stirs him. He wants something else. That's an encounter with God. He's anointed king, and we see early on that he's not committed to following God's process right at the beginning. He wants to be in control himself. Even during his coronation ceremony as king, he feels railroaded, feels like God has forced himself on him and said, I'm just gonna go and hide away. 
See, when you're when in the habit of not facing up to difficult tight comes, and he's always trying to get out of things rather than go through things. He's not willing to wait for God to do something. He's got to be in control and make something happen. See, when you're not committed to God's processes in your life, you'll never wait for God. You'll take matters into your own hands. It actually indicates that you don't trust that God is on your side. You don't really believe that God can help. You don't really trust God. Abraham, the father of faith, did the same. He had a promise that God was gonna give him a son, but it took too long. Didn't happen in the timeline that he liked. It didn't seem like it could happen. So he takes matters into his own hands. He sleeps with his servant. She becomes pregnant. She gives birth to Ishmael. And to this day, there's trouble in the world because one group worship Isaac, the God of Isaac. One worships the God of Ishmael. It's a, it's a terrible thing that happened there. See, if God can only be good in your life when he gives you immediate attention, then you're going to make decisions that hurt you in the long run, just as Abraham and Saul did. You know, Saul has some great victories. He has a lot of good things, but he was never committed to the process of God. So whenever he's faced with a tough situation, he always, always kind of backs off. He always can't wait. He always tries to do something just crazy. One time, he's just so upset, doesn't know what to do. He actually has a seance to bring back kind of Samuel from the dead so he can find out what's going on because he wasn't committed to what God was asking him to do. He could never wait for God. Saul is king when David uh, defeats Goliath. But because he's not committed to believing that God has anointed him, he gets jealous of David, tries to kill David. His insecurities come to the fore. And see, what happens is that many times God allows us to wait because he's trying to deal with our insecurities. He's trying to deal with our doubts. He's trying to deal with the things of, of, of patience, of being able to persevere and wait upon the Lord. You see, Saul in the Old Testament wasn't committed to process. And as soon as the going got tough, he decides that God has let him down. He's gonna try his own ways. He ends up in shame and even his own family kind of disown him. You know, a life that started so promisingly just ends with no purpose. It ends so sad because he has, a, I've gotta have it now attitude. He's not committed to the process of God in his life. Then you look at Saul of the New Testament. He was also doing his own thing and then he encounters Jesus in a very real way. So we think that Paul gets knocked off his horse. He's going there to kill Christians in Damascus, has an encounter with God, goes back, but he has a long process. He allows the process of God to start to work in his life before he goes and does anything. And so let's have a look at Saul's life or Paul as he becomes and see the difference of allowing the processes of God to happen in your life. Galatians 1.11, dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source, no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation of Jesus Christ. He's talking about his encounter with Jesus. You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, 
how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy her. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. But even before I was born, God chose me, called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. When this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human being, nor did I go to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went away into Arabia and later returned to the city of Damascus. Then three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter, and I stayed with him for 15 days. The only other apostle I met at that time was James, the Lord's brother. I declare before God that what I'm writing you is not a lie. I just find that a very interesting statement in the Bible, right? Like, we need to know that he's not lying to us. That's, thanks, thanks for that. After that, I went north into the provinces of Syria and Sicilia, and still the Christians in the churches in Judea did not know me personally. All they knew was that people were saying, the one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy. And they began to praise God because of me. Then 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again. Think about it. He gets called. His dramatic encounter with God. Then he serves for three years in Arabia. Then he serves for another 14 years in the churches of Syria. And then, then we read about the story of Acts and how he gets sent out onto his missionary journey. Saul in the New Testament, so different. He allows God to work in him. 17 years between getting knocked off his horse, having this amazing encounter with God, to actually going on to his first missionary journey. Just imagine the dealings of God that he endured. Imagine the hardships he went through in those 17 years that enabled him to become the man of God that he becomes, the church planner, the church father, the church Bible author that he becomes because of those 17 years. He didn't need it now. He was happy to wait for God to do what God does and that's just work on who we are. He endured the tests, tests of sin, tests of endurance and perseverance. Test of offenses, test of the mundane. He would have had those years where nothing happened. No one's inviting him. No one's asking him to do anything. He's not having any real success. He's just faithfully serving. He was a tent maker. He had a job. And while he's doing his job, he'd also do church. Tests of whether God was really in control. Tests of persecution. Tests of success. Tests of failure. Tests of pride, tests of betrayal, tests of false accusation, tests of whether God will supply, tests of authority, tests of the cares of this world. Many, many tests. Saul, who becomes Paul, allows God to work on him and in him, and he commits himself to a life of discipleship, to following Jesus, to being a disciple of Christ. He committed himself to walk with God in the good and in the bad, in the easy and the tough, in the lack and in the abundance. He had many encounters with God on the way. The Bible says he had incredible things happen. He had amazing revelations. The Bible says he had revelations of God that were so incredible that he wasn't even allowed to speak about them. He had revelations that he never wrote about in his letters 
to the different churches. He knew God. He had revelations. The Bible says they took him into the third heaven. He saw healings and was used in healings. He, he saw great success. He saw persecution. He saw amazing things happen in his ministry. He had many encounters with God. He had dreams where people came to him in the night and said, here, you need to go here. You need to be doing that. He had incredible encounters with God, but they were all about the process. See, a runner in a marathon is running away and they'll reach what is called a pain barrier. Do I keep on going, I've never experienced this. All right, <laughs> and I never will. Right, right, so, uh, right. So they're running away, they're running along and they just, I just want to give up. They have to get through it. And at those points, they always have refreshments. Right, and at that refreshment point, they take one of those drinks and they take it on the run and then they drink and they throw it away. Imagine the runner, and this is what sometimes Christians do. God allows these encounters to happen so that we can be refreshed and we can be strong in the race. And we come to the thing and we just stop. Oh, man, this cordial. Oh, yeah, this is cordial. It's amazing. Have you tried this cordial? Oh, I think I'm just going to sit here and have my cordial. That's not what it's for. The encounters of God aren't for you to just sit there and just sign it. They're so you can keep running the race. They're to keep running forward, going forward. Can you do that tonight? Can you commit yourself to God even in the lack? Can God still be good even when it's seemingly like he's not coming through or he's taking a really long time? That's the process of God. Think about it. As the Corinthian passage told us, we read at the start, and the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him. Like him. Like him as we are changed into His glorious image. Are you willing to let God's discipleship purpose for your life slowly change you, slowly chip away, slowly mold you and make you into the image of Christ? Are you gonna run the race that God has set before you or are you just gonna give up and quit because it's getting a bit too hard? See, you need to commit yourself to the plan that God has for your life. Do you really believe? Do you really believe that God has a specific plan for you? See, if you, if you understand that, it makes it so much easier. I'm not just doing it because this is what I'm supposed to do at church. I'm part of a church. This is what the church says we should do. Let's just do it. No, you believe that there's a plan. There's a purpose. You know, in the contract that we write for staff members when we ask someone to be on staff, I literally write in their contract, if you ever get to a point where you feel like you're not actually achieving God's purpose for your life, you can quit and go get a job somewhere, right? Because we're not paying you what you're worth, right? We, it's not go and get a job that's gonna pay you what you're worth, right? Like, because you're doing this because this is the call of God in your life. This is the purpose and the plan of God that's for your life, right? I, I actually write that into their contract because I want you to feel like I'm doing this because this is what God asked me to do. I'm furthering the kingdom of God in what I'm doing. Commit yourself tonight to the process of God. Now, process means this. What does the word process mean? It means that a number of actions have been brought to bear on a piece of raw material and so something is made. 
Something is fashioned. Something is manufactured. So there's just this thing, and then it's worked upon, added, taken, and all of a sudden we have this. There's a process, and something is made from it. In the Bible, the God likens human beings to clay in his hands. He is a process that fashions us into his special creation. Sometimes he's kneading. Sometimes he's molding. Sometimes he's starting again. Sometimes he's putting it on the shelf. Sometimes he's putting you in the fire. But it's all because he's trying to make something beautiful out of you. God is wanting to fashion you. God is wanting to mold you. God is wanting to make you. If you're not a Christian tonight, then there's this raw material that you are to God in a sense that he wants to to make something out of you. And what he has for you is so incredibly different to what you could ever believe. If I've ever learned anything in those 41 years of being a Christian, it's this. My gosh, God has changed me. Who got saved in 1982 is not Mark who stands before you today. There's just no way. There's literally no way that anyone would have ever thought that day, July the 11th on 1982, when I came out in the front and gave my life to Christ, there wasn't a person in that church who go, oh, he's going to do something for God. They're going to like, who did that guy bruise? Who's that guy? Right? Like, and... And they were right, because that guy couldn't do anything. But you know what I did have? I did have a heart for God, and I was willing to allow his processes to work in me. And there are times when it wasn't great, and there are times when it was tough, and it was times when I had my doubts, and there were times when I wanted to leave. But that was all the process. But there was this thing of like, I'm going to look to God. There was always, I'm going to look to God. I'm going to, I'm going to see God. I, I want more of God. I, I, and there was this changing. And what I love is that hopefully I'm alive for many, many years and that I keep changing. I don't want to be the same in five years' time, in 10 years' time as I am now. I want to be different. I want to be more like Christ. I definitely don't want to be some old crabby man that's talking about in the past how good it was and how bad things are now. That's one of the things I love about Pastor Fred is that like he's in his latter years, right? I can say that, can I, with some, with some right? <laughs> and, uh, but he's so gracious. He's so kind. He's one of my greatest encouragers. If I feel down, let's ring up Pastor Fred. Tell me how good I am, please. Right? Like, so, you know, like, it's just wonderful. That's who I want to be. I want to be more like Christ. I want to be stirring young people for the things of God. I, 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 I don't want to be like I am now. I don't, there's things, oh, I don't like that. No, I want to change. Not because God's going to love me more, I'm going to do more. It's just because I want to be more like Jesus. I want to allow the Spirit of God to start doing things in life. And it's interesting because it says that the Spirit, whom the, Son, the Spirit of God sets people free, there's freedom. See, God's purpose is to make you the freest you could ever be. If you care about what God wants for your life, and it's not so much about what everyone else's wants and all these different things, you're free. How bound we are by other people's opinions. 
How bound we are by what we think other people want. How bound we are by those outside sources that are just doing nothing for us. And God wants to set us free because I'm just becoming more like Jesus. There's a freedom in allowing God's process to work in your life. God's still removing this, polishing that, molding this. And every now and again, he's starting something afresh in my life. Committing yourself to God's process means that you're mature. You're allowing God to do something in your life. Maybe the musos could come. So where are you in the process right now? Where are you? Where are you in this journey? Some people, you're in, this is a great time. You're just loving life. Right? It's just awesome. It's just fantastic. Nothing's bad. Nothing's really, you know, you have some little things, but it's just good. Some of you are really walking uphill. It's a struggle. Right? It's, just, it's just energy. Some of you in the sun. Some of you in the rain. Some of you are stuck. And God wants to unstick you. The Bible says that we are in a race. But it's not a 100 meter sprint. It's a, it's a marathon. You know, Cadell Evans, the only Australian ever to win the Tour de France, he said it was the bad times he went through that made the great times even sweeter. And that's what happens. God is making us and molding us and working in us. And are we going to allow Him to do that? So that's what I'd say to the young people today over the years is allow the process of God to work in your life. Understand He has a plan. It's a good plan. He wants to build something out of your life. We have a summit coming up in October and that's the whole kind of message of the summit is build. And it's that. There's a process. God has something He wants to build, something He wants to make, something He wants to manufacture in your life. And as you allow Him to do that, you will live an abundant life. You will live a blessed life. You will live an uncommon life. That's what I think is amazing. I don't want to live a common life. I don't want to live a nine to five life where everything's the same. I just do my job, leave, go to work. I come back from work. I watch TV. I watch some footy on the weekend. I then go to church and then I just do it all again. I don't want to live that life. That's not the abundant life. That's not an uncommon life. An uncommon life is the life that says, God, I submit myself to your process. It may mean that you're in the same workplace for 50 years. But every year you see that as your mission field. Every day you see as an opportunity for God to be doing something. You may see Him in the same marriage for all that time, but it's an opportunity that God says, hey, that's the plan. I'm using you to bring generations to bear. I'm using you to set a future and to set a legacy for the future. That's the goodness of God. God's discipleship journey for us contains good times, sweet times, bitter times, tough times, persevering times, and times where it's just like so easy. So tonight, 
I want you to stand. We're going to come maybe to sing some, a song. Hey, do, do that song, Make Room. I like that. And uh, we've just got a few minutes before we need to stop. But I want you to commit yourself. I want you to commit yourself to God's process. To say, God, I'm in for the long haul. I'm in the good, in the bad, in the tough and the easy, in the abundance and the lack. I'm here for the long term, God. I want to walk with you. I allow you to mold me. And I allow you to come through for me. That's the great thing. When you see the promise of God come true, when you see what it is that God promised your life to be, become what it is. That's the sweet thing when you actually win the prize of seeing God come true. That's an incredible thing and a wonderful thing. And that's what God promises you all. Commit yourself to the process and He's going to make something incredible out of your life. Let's sing that song.